Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. We are here with Rooney Toms uh, going over cardiology. Rooney, how are you? No, I'm doing great today. Thanks. Um, we're going back to some cardiac physiology today. You're going to talk to us about the Frank Starling curve. Is that right? Yes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, again, as a, as a board review concept. Right? So enough. very quickly, will they throw up one of these curves? Yeah. And, and we've all uh, gone through these curves in... in um, physiology class, but it tends to be a little while back. And then they, um, and again, you don't have a whole lot of time to answer these questions. So then um, it's nice to have thought through the curves before uh, the actual exam. And then if, if things pop up as part of the use of inotropes and such. Yeah, how uh, does that change? How yeah. does that change? You got it. So very quickly, this is your classic kind of um, uh, format. You have your left ventricle uh, pressure um here and your left ventricular volume at the, at the bottom. So imagine if you have a basically a heart hanging on a string and you start filling it with water yeah. okay? um, in, in an experimental situation. So you start filling it with water. As you're filling it up, your volume increases. Okay, mm -hmm. So here you're increasing your volume, increasing your volume. Pressure is not really going up. I apologize. And these little bumps here doesn't mean anything. This is just me. Hand drawn. Hand drawn. Yeah. All right, this, is an this is a Rooney original. <laughs> the Rooney original, for sure. But for the people who are listening, because yeah. we are also on YouTube, right? So you're starting from the bottom left corner of the curve, and mm -hmm. you're saying we're increasing, we're just putting in, we're filling the ventricle, and so there's very little change. And then yeah. you're describing that as we get to the lower right corner, there's like mm -hmm. a little bit of an increase as the pressure, exactly. as the ventricle gets pressurized with fluid, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you start filling, you fill it first, and then all of a sudden you start filling, but as you fill it more, you start stretching. Exactly. Right? Almost like a water balloon when you're playing exactly. as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's how I imagine it too. So then obviously the pressure is going to start increasing, right? Mm -hmm. And then it starts increasing up here. So this is basically at the end of your filling phase, yeah. right? So this is at the end of your diastole, yeah, right? And for the just for the record, if you if you have a patient with decreased function, um, cardiomyopathy or whatever, um, the primary marker for decreased function is your end diastolic pressure. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you have a suspicion for someone with a cardiomyopathy, you take them to the cath lab, you throw in the catheter and you say, Oh my gosh, left ventricular end diastolic pressure is 20. You know, this is a, a bad case of sure. heart failure, right? So, um, so you don't want this to be too high, obviously, but this is your end diastolic pressure. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then here you have, bang, a very sudden increase in, uh, in your pressure. So you're kind of basically going straight up, right? So this is when your left ventricle starts contracting. So that's when all the valves are closed. You have your mitral valve is closed, your aortic valve is closed, mm -hmm. and now the ventricle is going to start contracting, but the blood has really nowhere to go. Yeah, the blood is still standing inside its left ventricle, mm -hmm. and all the walls filled with muscle is contracting. contracting. And that's why it's called isovolumetric exactly. contraction because the volume is not really going to, it's not going to change at all, Correct. but the pressure goes yeah. really high. Exactly. And that's where you see this on this curve. There's no change in the volume, right? Yeah. The volume stays exactly the same, but the pressure just shoots up. Yeah. And then you get to the top of this kind of um, pressure uh, increase. This is when the aortic valve yeah. Okay. So now the pressure is great enough um, that it overseeds the pressure in the aorta. Yeah. 
So the aortic valve opens and you start having an injection. Yeah. Okay. So systole starts here, right? Yeah. And at then, the bottom right corner. Yeah. And then you have your um, increase in pressure, no change in volume. Bang, your aorta opens here. Yeah. And then you start injecting your blood and you start losing the volume, right? Mm -hmm. As it comes down. And then the pressure slowly starts coming down. It yeah. actually does curve like this. It doesn't stop immediately, but it does yeah. decrease a little bit. And then um, as you've ejected a large amount of volume from your left ventricle, most of it, then all of a sudden the, um, the aorta closes and your LV pressure drops. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That and, makes sense. Yeah. And then it starts over again. All right. So... This is basically um, the basis for some of these um, um, Frank Starling uh, rules and how, how can you see this at the bedside, yeah. okay? And I find this very, uh, very helpful because a lot of people just ask me, hey, what inotrope do you like best? Right. And it's like, no, it's not about what I like best. It's what about um, what, what does a patient need? Right. Uh, and, and what's necessary in that situation. That's why describing this through um, kind of, um, these, these curves can be very, very helpful. Okay. So here again, pressure and volume. Um, and these, these are classic board review questions, yeah. right? So they will ask you what's the difference between A and B and B and C, yeah. C and D, um, that kind of stuff. Um, so here, for example, A is normal, uh, where you kind of increase your, um, uh, your volume and you contract and you eject this amount of blood, yeah. okay, from 50 to 20, say, all right? Um, and then you've done something. And in this case, you've increased your um, preload, okay? You recruited, you've given more volume, okay? You've given a volume bolus, okay? In this case, your, um, your filling is from A to B. So that means that you're actually filling more volume, right? You're going filling the distance from A to B, um, as you're feeling the heart more, stretching more, so the pressure and diastolic pressure is slightly higher. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you actually contract and you eject, you're ejecting this much more um, blood, right? So you're almost up at 65. So you almost increase it from 45 to 65 um, additional kind of volume. And then um, further, you go from even, you can give even more preload, right? Mm -hmm. Give even more of a volume. So then you can actually go from B to C, okay? And then you have actually added even more. So but the, as a side effect, what has happened is that you have increased your end diastolic pressure, yeah. okay? And by doing this, you potentially making it so that um, you can start having kind of um, heart failure type symptoms. And in our preemie population, the first one we would think of is kind of more pulmonary edema mm -hmm. aspects. Okay. Then from C to D, you have a very limited increased volume of ejection. Okay. So you're not actually increasing your stroke volume all that much, right? So your bang for your buck is greatest from A to B, less from B to C, and very little from C to D right? But the side effects of going from C to D is quite significant because now you're actually starting to really climb up there on your end diastolic pressure. Yeah. 
So that means all the discussions kind of in, in conferences and such, like how much volume should we give? It depends on the situation, depends on the clinical scenario. Um, is the baby hypovolemic? And what's your assessment of the hypovolemia? Does the baby have sepsis and such, right? But no, at some point you will reach point C and D. So to continue all night long to give volume boluses is probably not in the baby's best interest, right? You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then the next one is um, positive lucidotropy. Okay. That's actually one of my favorite ones because some people actually spend their entire life studying diastole. And diastole is actually almost more interesting than systole. As diastole is how do you actually relax the ventricle? Yeah. Okay. And that's the lucitropy. Okay. So lucitropic effects is how how you can influence the relaxation of the ventricle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a classic situation. Again, same per curve, pressure, and volume. And you're going from state A to state B. In uh, A, again, you come up here and you you um, fill the ventricle. And you eject, and this is your your stroke volume right yeah. here. Okay, um, and then, but in, in if you increase your lucitropy, and the, the classic poster child for lucitropic medica- medication is is milrinone, of course. Okay, um, then you help the ventricle as you're kind of filling it and filling it with water. You helping it be able to absorb that extra water without really increasing the end diastolic uh, pressure. You're helping it to accommodate. All that more, that larger exactly. volume. Exactly. Yeah, it's almost like making it stretcher. So yeah. if you the the water balloon scenario, right? If you fill it once and it kind of stops right here, but then you stretch it and do it, you make it so that yeah. it can you're increasing the, the compliance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that's when you go from point A to point B. You see that this curve can accommodate much more volume. So in this case, you've actually almost doubled the stroke volume, right? Yeah, so you yeah. go from here, you're not in- increasing any pressure. You're not putting any more strain on the heart. Um, and But you're just basically allowing it to fill more. And it uses the same amount of pressure to eject almost double the amount of that's volume. Cool. Yeah. So so that's a very helpful way of thinking, hmm, this, does this baby have diastolic dysfunction? Diastolic dysfunction is not necessarily easy to... Um, to to diagnose, um, but again, if they if if the heart kind of looks as though it's beating fast, it's it's um, you have tachycardia, it's not filling very well, and all that kind of stuff. And depending on the pathogenesis of what's going on, mm-hmm. you can say, hey, this baby probably would uh, benefit from um, some positive lucidotropy because it has some end diastolic dysfunction. Is yeah. kind of what we like to call it. And then in other ways, um, you can increase contractility. That's those are your classic kind of dopamine and um, and dobutamine and such. Dobutamine kind of also releases your afterload. Um, maybe has some degree of of lucitropic effect, but and low dose epinephrine can have some lucitropic right. effect and afterload reduction. Um, but here, increase your contractility. So how does that really happen? So let's look at um, at the first one. So this is curve number A. So you're kind of going up here relatively high um, on um, on the curve. And with your contractility, you're not, you're not really squeezing out that much volume. So you're actually just going to here and down. So your volume is really just from the 65 to 45 range. Okay. By increasing your 
kind of you muscle tone, you muscle kick in many ways. You can go from A to B, basically doubling your volume here by increasing your contract mm-hmm. contractility. Okay, so you just it's just a harder push, right? And um, from here to even C, you can actually almost triple it yeah. with your contractility. So therefore you can see how maybe some of these combinations can be helpful in patients where you might increase some volume, right? Uh, as preload, you may actually help some degree of diastolic dysfunction and all, might also want to help with the contractility to some degree. So you see how they all work uh, in favor of the heart, but, um, but yeah, in different two phases. Di- There's really ways. two phases on which you can have very different impacts. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then the last one, I believe, is afterload reduction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I basically remember when we talked about the being going on positive pressure ventilation uh, and that in practically reduces your afterload. There are different ways in which you can lo- reduce afterload. Basically, what that really means is lowering your systemic vascular resistance. Right which practically also probably means lower your, your blood pressure to some degree, right? Yeah. So then you go again, left ventricular pressures, volume here, you go up. So let's look at um, course number A. Um, so you go from A to B. So you come up here and you eject, you're actually using a lot of pressure, yeah. right? And then you eject down to here. Yeah, that's our... That's our natural curve which is yeah. the, the heart working super hard against against this this high afterload yeah exactly this is what if you have high blood pressure <laughs> yeah exactly this is what's going on yeah um and then but if you then reduce your afterload and look you're going up on the b curve which is yeah, a so your diastole one. is not going to be changed tremendously no diastole is the same exactly right? yeah exactly and then you go up here but you're pressure that you have to generate in order to, to overcome. overcome exactly right, right. and then is is less so then and then because the pressure is less you also are able to have a larger stroke volume and larger volume that comes out of the ventricle and therefore you have basically a your more volume that, that reaches the body right that makes sense and here in and more extreme example c uh, coming up here high high pressure very little output uh, comes down, um, and then uh, going from C to D, which that's a residual volume there. Mm-hmm, exactly, and here you kind of um, almost double your your stroke volume, and it comes down here. Yeah. So I feel as though we maybe see this in maybe classically in, in a BPD patient that has had hypertension, right, and um, might get sick uh, for different reasons, um, and uh, reducing the afterload in, in a patient like that. Could kind of help uh, with the stroke volume. And I think that kind of wraps up the Frank Starling discussion. All right. Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, thanks. See you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.